podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? As I am neither a veterinary surgeon nor a council road worker, I am in particularly good spirits. Yeah, merry fuck you to all veterinaries. Veterinaries? Vets? Well, not all vets. One specific vet who apparently can't read and pretty much all council workers. Yeah, merry fuck you to all you people. Ruining my morning just flagrantly stepping out to ruin my morning and make me late. Um, We are here today to talk about Liverpool versus West Ham in the quarterfinal of the Carabao Cup. But as it's the Carabao Cup, we have deduced that it does not deserve a full hour. So we are going to talk about other Carabao Cup games and a few other bits and bobs. So let's start, Carl, with... The games that are taking place tonight, there are three games tonight. Ours is then the marquee game on its own for tomorrow night. Everton versus Fulham. Everton are right now the most informed team in the Premier League. And that is not an error. That is fact. They have won their last four matches in a row and no other Premier League club can claim to have done that. Had they not been terrible cheating lads and not gotten a 10-point deduction, Carl, they would currently be sitting 10th in the Premier League, just behind Brighton on goal difference, within striking distance of Newcastle in 6th. Sean Dyche is some sort of warlock. He's been excellent and considering that they didn't exactly have a massive overhaul uh, across the summer. I don't know whether you want to say that it's like the mentality of last season he struggled to change or the fact that they just basically ground themselves down and said, we just have to get through to the end of the season, then it's a reset, and then we go again. Because we already know that Sean Dyche has more than you know the capacity to, to arrange a team and his team-building skills are very, very good. Uh, and he can set a team up tactically to be very difficult to beat. But they're actually playing well as well. Uh, and I think that's the biggest turnaround, even over the last six weeks, because at the start of the season, they were still playing pretty dreadful in terms of their build-up play. There still wasn't mm. always the uh, cohesion going into the final third. The ball progression was not amazing in the opening weeks. Um, but I think, obviously, cutting out defensive errors is always a big thing, which helps any team, and they have managed to do that. The partnerships have been pretty consistent across the board through the spine of the team. And even though he's not I don't think anywhere near an elite forward. Calvert-Lewin's hold-up play is pretty good. And his link-up mm. play has been pretty decent outside the box. I, th- I still think as a goal scorer, you're pretty much looking at him as a six-yard box 
finisher, not too much else, but yeah. in a similar vein to, let's say, Dominic Sainke, we've spoke, spoken about at length this season. Um, I think he contributes more to those behind him than maybe he is himself. I think that's very fair. And I more confident and more comfortable with how they're playing. They'll get more opportunities to get those two into positions where they can put quality service in. And Calvert-Loon is one of the best in the league at attacking the cross. So, you know, he will get more goals, I think, as the season goes along. But you're right. They're playing very, very well. Their team is cohesive. It makes sense now. It took Dyche from when he took over until probably the fourth game of this season to begin to shake off the Frank Lampard of it all. But they have been very good. And I thought the performances that they've put in in the last four games, particularly against Newcastle and Chelsea, were very, very strong. Now, they'll take on a Fulham team that themselves are, I think, overachieving in the Premier League this season. They sit 11th. They're one point behind Chelsea. They're only two points ahead of your Brentfords and your Wolves and your Bournemouths, but considering they sold probably their best player in Mitrovic in the summer, almost lost their second best player in Paulinho, almost lost their manager, and didn't spend a whole lot. Like most of their summer incomings, uh, Bassi, Iwobi, Jimenez and Castagna, most of that was covered by the Mitrovic sale. And for a while there, they looked like a team that was going to battle relegation. They couldn't really score enough goals. They were conceding goals at a higher rate than you'd like when you're a team that doesn't score goals. And we talked about them when we were due to play them about their struggles in front of goal, how, you know, up until the game against Wolves, they'd really been struggling to score goals. In the three games after we spoke, including the game against us, they managed to score 13 goals. And now their goal scored column looks a lot healthier. Uh, They were beaten 3-0 away at Newcastle at the weekend. The Jimenez red card, which is one of the more bizarre red cards, I think a warranted red card, but one of the most more bizarre red cards you'll see this season, it really kind of blew up their game plan and they struggled from there and eventually Newcastle just wore them down. But I I do think they're a well-coached side. I think they've got some good players. They've got a system that works for them. They're very well drilled. And they all know what their specific role is. So I am looking forward to this game because it won't it won't likely it, this is not going to be, you know, prime Barcelona going up against a, a great Real Madrid team or anything like that. It's not going to be a, a festival of football. But I do think it's it's a decent game between two teams that I think are overachieving this season based on what I would have projected for them preseason. I think the other thing which should make this a really watchable game is, I know Everton are still 16th, but as as we've discussed, they're not really um, in terms of form, in terms of expectations now across the season. They've already put themselves, what, seven points clear of the relegation zone? It was only about two weeks ago they went into it, so it's pretty fine. Um, They're not also, as a result of that 10 points, going to be really challenging for like any kind of European place or anything like that. Their big Mm. focus should be this 
this competition, this match should be like the yeah, biggest one yeah. they've had this season. You win this, you're in a cup semi-final. And for most teams, that doesn't happen very often. For Everton, it happens hardly ever. Right? And yes, there's still like some tricky opponents to get through, but you you know that with a, a home tie in a quarterfinal, anything at all can happen in the semis and the final beyond. Like early red cards, goals against the run of play, blah, blah, blah. you just got to make sure on home soil, you take the opportunity, you give yourself the possibility for anything to happen. This game is honestly huge for Everton. And well, we've seen some like really big relegation atmospheres that they've had and all that kind of stuff. This is a chance for them to create a similar kind of environment, but in a positive setting. And that's that's a really different and unusual thing for Everton to do and or to, to have done over the last few years, let's say. Um, I, I, I fully expect them to be massively up for this game. Like I think that this is like could be not just a turning point of the season, but in the direction of where the team is going, to be honest, even before the clubs take over and all the rest of it, it happens. You can argue the same for Fulham though. More difficult because they're away from home, more difficult because they're going to be without Jimenez because he's suspended and a little bit more difficult maybe in terms of uh, not expectation, which would probably be about on par with Everton, but in terms of maybe they don't have as much emotion of the season behind them right at this minute in time. Maybe though this win gives them that going into a semis. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Uh, am I right in thinking that the last Cup semi-final they were in was the year we beat them in the Cup semi-final? Everton? I'd imagine that's, yeah. I think that's the Andy Carroll one, isn't it? They got to semis and that, that, nothing else. The Andy Carroll, fo- yeah, the Andy Carroll semi. I think that's the last time, I think that's the last time they'd have been in a semi for sure, um, which obviously points to the state the club has been in for many a year. But this is an opportunity for them. And you're right, like with the, with the 10-point deduction, it, it's just going to stop any possibility of getting into Europe through the, through the league. So they should take advantage of this. Um, they are potentially facing another deduction because there's a strong possibility they might end up in administration. But when Sean Dyche finishes 15th, despite a 20-point deduction across the course of the season, um, I, I think a lot of people will will have to consider changing their view on what Sean Dyche is as a manager. Right now, I would say after Unai Emery, I think he's I think he's doing the best job in the league. Yeah, I don't think that there's any doubt about that, to be honest. I think Everton have looked like a completely different team this season, considering they're not in terms of the actual people involved. It it really is impressive. We have done them a minor disservice, though. They got back to semis of both cup competitions um, three years after we beat them, or four years after we beat them. 2016, they lost in the semis of the FA Cup to 
Man United and the semis of the League Cup to Man City. Oh. And they obviously lost both of those. So Yeah, yeah they lost you know, both of those semis, yeah. The, the, the thing is for them, if they can get through this, there is a possibility that they draw the winner of the next game we're going to talk about, which is yeah. Port Vale versus Middlesbrough, which, you know, I think everybody's looking at that and hoping that's the semi-final that they get. Um, so Port Vale right now in League One, currently sitting 15th. They have won their last two games, but you would be certainly looking at them as the weakest of the teams left in the competition. Uh, Middlesbrough are 13th in the championship. Disappointing season for them after how well they did under Michael Carrick last season, but they're still only six points outside the playoffs. Currently missing Hayden Hackney, who's their best player. But this is a massive opportunity for one of these clubs. You get through this, you get a two-legged tie against a Premier League opponent. And that, that should be a huge incentive for them. Now, you wouldn't fancy them to beat any of the Premier League teams. Maybe Fulham. Maybe Fulham. Just because they can be hit and miss and sometimes struggle for goals. But to get, especially for like a Port Vale in League One, meandering along in mid-table, if you could get a semi-final where you're going to get a Premier League team coming to your stadium, that would, especially considering what Port Vale have been through in recent years, um, that would be a huge... Yeah, I mean, look, they've they've both had fortunate runs, I think we can say, um, to get to this stage. But that's kind of the point of the cup. Sometimes you get a really tough draw first time out. We've got Arsenal in the uh, FA Cup third round. But sometimes you get a lovely run. Sometimes you're called Man City and you only ever play against uh, lower league opponents all the way through to the semis. That's just the way it goes. Um, I, I, I don't think that there's anything to take away from any club who gets to you know, the quarterfinals, if you're in, in outside of the Premier League and you've just played outside of Premier League teams and you get there, you've beaten them all. Like, it's it's a very, very rare occurrence for teams to get to semifinals. That's just the nature of what cups are. You know, we go down from 72 um, football league teams and 20 Premier League teams down to four to get to any semifinal any given year. That's not a lot of them. And when you factor in the dominance of massive squads let's be honest people who have miles more money to spend and bigger salaries and everything else than most of the other teams so that they can have two really good sides that's not a good thing for football purists we want it for the teams when we support them but for everyone else it's a real drag and you know what you get to the semi-finals it doesn't really matter who you play at that point because you've got to get you know a game against them at home and any again anything can happen that again is the point of the cup that's why cup runs are so fun and when you get to semi-finals or you go to Wembley and play in a final that's what makes it quite magic still that's what makes it such an intriguing encounter and when you do get a draw where two big teams go against each other one of them's got to go out that's great for all the rest of them when you got two terrible teams or lower league teams the rest of the ones who go through like you said a minute ago they all want to play that team because they think that they're not going to be any good but somewhere along the way you get a cup upset that, that happens over and over and over again so just because they are the least likely ones to win it, it's not necessarily going to be 
just a complete stroll in the woods for, for let's say Middlesbrough going through and someone's got to play against them. It, they will make it as difficult as they can. Cups are odd beasts, especially when matches fall before big matches in other competitions. We know that. And maybe there's rotations or injuries or different priorities at play for different teams. Um, so all you can do at this point, whether you're Middlesbrough or Port Vale or anyone else, I'm not going to say too much anymore because I, I think I'm an upset guy if I say anything bad about Middlesbrough, but just go and win this game and suddenly history is sort of within touching distance of you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like these two teams came into the competition in the first round. Um, Borough went to Huddersfield and beat them 3-2. Port Vale played Fleetwood Town at home and beat them 3-2. In the second round, Borough went to Bolton and beat them 3-1, whereas Port Vale beat Crew Alexandra 2-0 on penalties after a 0-0 draw. In the third round, Borough went away again to Bradford City and beat them 2-0. Port Vale, again at home, beat Sutton United 2-1. And then in the fourth round, Port Vale finally had to go on their travels, but they played Mansfield Town and beat them 1-0, whereas Borough went away once again to Exeter City and beat them 3-2. Borough, if they reached the semi-final, it has to be one of the first teams to ever get that far, having come in in the first round and played every game away from home and they will be favorites in this one. So, you know, it'll be, it'll be a test for both sides. Uh, On then to the first of the kind of, you know, the big name draws. So you get Chelsea versus Newcastle. Now, Newcastle are clearly the better team, but Newcastle have a lot of injury issues. And, you know, Sandro Tonali's suspension doesn't help, but you've got Nick Pope out, Jacob Murphy out, Harvey Barnes, Joe Willock, Elliot Anderson, Fabian Schaar, Javier Manquillo, Jolington and Matt Target all injured. And then doubts over Trippier and Isak. That's an awful lot of players to be without. Now, Chelsea themselves, no stranger to injuries. Fafana, Kukurea, James, Sanchez, Chilwell, Lavia, Chalaba, Ugo Chukwu, Chukwemeka, all out, and Noni Mudeki, a major doubt. That is a lot of players that these two teams are doing without. Obviously, in the Premier League, Newcastle sit sixth, Chelsea sit tenth. Based on what perception is of both teams, you would think there's an enormous gulf between them. But there's only actually seven points. Chelsea have lost seven times, and it seems like they've lost a lot, but Newcastle have lost six times. So Chelsea are probably better than their league position suggests, but they can't get everybody fit. They can't keep players on the pitch, and that's a big concern for them. It's a big concern for Pochettino, for sure. What are you expecting from this one? Because I think... if. If people have a choice of these three games for tonight, most neutrals will probably go for this one. Yeah, I think so. I think it's the closest game, I think, in terms of ability at the upper end, obviously it is. Um, What am I expecting? I'm expecting imbalance. That's what I'm expecting. Um, Chelsea have looked good at times in the build-up play. Excuse me, but then they don't yet seem to have that knack or organisation to 
be in defensive positions when they have the ball going forward, if you know what I mean. Like if you if you watch Liverpool, you know perfectly well that, that the build-up play is going to be sort of recycling through the central midfielders moving it, let's say, left side to the right side central midfielder, out wide to, to Mo on the right flank or something like that, and then he'll be looking to do his thing. But while he's looking to do his thing, the right-sided midfielder will be, let's say, diagonally in from him, no more than five, six metres or something like that. The right-back, if it's Trent, will be either down the flank from him or a little bit further infield again, ready for the second ball across. You know where the right-sided centre-back now going to be Canate is going to be stationed. Chelsea haven't got this yet. Like, there's no um, readiness for them for, for transition play at the minute defensively. There's not really any cohesion with the, the bulk of their midfield and defence over where they need to be, over what you know, starting positions they have, whereabouts they support the attack. That's the biggest thing I think missing from their game at the minute because attacking-wise, it is starting to come together more now. Not perfect, but I think between Cole Palmer and Sterling, there's obvious chemistry there. Uh, there's really, really good interplay with Nicholas Jackson at times, even if he's not, let's say, the finished product or the finishing product at times. They still need another really good regular option for one of those attacking midfield spots. But there's the start of it is there. Um, but it's going the other way where I think that they really have problems. Whereas Newcastle are almost the complete opposite of that, where they are set up perfectly, whether they're defending or attacking. They already know who's going to be where and who's the recovery runs and all the rest of it. But where Newcastle are hampered at the minute because of all those injuries is in their transition play, which was ridiculously good at the start of the season. Um, they also haven't been great away from home in general, whether that's a, a just a travelling thing that they have at the minute where they're not quite as prepared or they're not quite as free-flowing or whatever. Um, I, th- I think just overall the, the absences are really hard to them. I mean, Lewis Miley's been brilliant. Absolutely superb. I think his positional play is way, way, way beyond the age and the experience that he has at senior level. But at the same time, you can't deny that if you look at Longstaff in some of the biggest matches with the biggest atmospheres on home soil, he doesn't have the same sort of athleticism to cover the ground very, very quickly as him. He doesn't have the same, uh, obviously, finesse in the final third as Gimenez or Tonali would have. Even Joe Willock presents a much bigger attacking threat at this stage because of his knowledge of where to run and where to pick up spaces and stop his run and hold himself in in areas where he can receive the ball. So just these things by the players who are missing, they they lack that chemistry going forward from last season when they were at the best, I think. I do think that counter-attacking, they're still very, very good. But again, Joe Linton is a massive part of that. And now he's out as well. So I do think that this could be a bit of a sticky game at times. Um, partly that's going to depend on the weather which we're recording this a few hours before the game and it's not great here in London I have to say so it could be a match which is a little bit more frustrating to watch than expected if both of them just go for it and just Mm. want to win that obviously make things a lot more exciting and the nature of a cup tie does make that a possibility Um, I actually fancy Chelsea to win this one though not necessarily in scintillating fashion but I think people like I say Byrne and Lascelles suddenly being in that back line again and Botman's there but he's not fit he's not sharp Dubravka in goal I don't think has been particularly good so far which is partly understandable but still not very helpful I just think Newcastle might be a bit more lacking in this one We might also get to see the first start for Christopher and Kunku tonight which would be interesting having been on the bench at the weekend Um 
Right, let's get some predictions then, Mr. Matches. Everton versus Fulham. Who's winning? 2-0 to Everton. Port Vale versus Middlesbrough. 2-2. Extra time and Middlesbrough with a late winner. And Chelsea versus Newcastle. You're going Chelsea. Yeah, I'll go for a... I'll go for less fun than we expected. I'm going to say 1-0. A nice wet 1-0 ball yeah. sailing around in, in wind and stuff. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I, they're the teams I think I'd pick to go through as well. Um, Everton, Borough and Chelsea. And then obviously the, the fourth and final one will be Liverpool or West Ham. Now, before we get to that, Carl, uh, I feel like after the weekend's game, the the reaction to the scoreline was a little bit over the top. Now, it's obviously a dreadful result. I would say it's our worst result of the season. I'd say it's worse than drawing away to Luton on the basis that we're at home and they're missing half a team. But what I mean by it's it was overblown was I don't think we played any worse against United than we did against Fulham, against Sheffield United or against Crystal Palace. I feel like we have been stumbling along now for weeks. And I was looking at the game since we moved to this shape. Obviously, that took place in the Arsenal game on the 9th of April, where we were not playing very well. We were getting beaten 2-0. The change was made. And all of a sudden, we just tore them apart. So starting from there, now just correct me if I'm wrong on any of these. We beat Leeds 6-1, we played very well. We beat Nottingham Forest at home, we played poorly. We beat West Ham away, we were okay on the day. We beat Spurs at home 4-3, we were brilliant for like 15-20 minutes, dreadful for 70, and then scored a late winner. We scraped by Fulham. We scraped by Brentford. We were good against Leicester. We were dreadful against Villa in a 1-1. There was a clown show on the final day of the season in a 4-4 away to Southampton that didn't really matter for anybody. Then this season, we played Chelsea and we were poor away. We were poor for a large chunk of the Bournemouth match, but then played well for a big chunk of it as well. I thought we were poor away to Newcastle. But we defended well. Ali made big saves and obviously Darwin won the game for us. We were outstanding at home to Villa. We were dreadful first half against Wolves. Excellent second half. I thought we were good against West Ham. I thought we were pretty good against Spurs, especially considering the circumstances. I thought we were poor away to Brighton. The Everton game was a bit of a slog. We were good at home to Forest. We were awful away to Luton. We were good at home to Brentford. I thought we were pretty poor away to City. And I think we've been fairly terrible in the last four games. Fulham, Sheffield United, Crystal Palace and Manchester United. Would you disagree with with any of those? There's an awful lot of words there for me to be disagreeing with anything at all. So I'm going to say you're correct. Absolutely correct on every single count. 
You're not going to be far out either way, let's be honest. We've right, got but... No, we haven't been good. My, my, my point is, the only outstanding performance that I would say we've had since moving to this shape was the Villa game at home this season. And then I think we've been good in... I think for the to, to take look at the entire game, we've been good in three other games, and then we've had patches of other games where we've been good. And the same at the end of last season. It's I just I, like I don't think we play particularly well in this shape. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't think we've been. I think we've been set up really well. I think defensively we play really well. I just don't think we attack really well. To be honest, I think they're slightly different things. I think we're. We do let sorry. We do look much better unless it's really rapid transitions through the middle, which at the start using this system we looked awful in. I think we're better now that we got a lot more control and a lot more mobility in midfield this season, which is you know was obviously necessary due to personnel. But it is a slightly separate conversation, I suppose. But how much do you think it matters? Because I've seen this argument starting a few times now. Um, we say after, after directly after matches, you know, people upset that we've won but haven't been exceptional, or people, you know, disappointed that we've won three or four matches but haven't been very, very good in any of them. So, at what point mm. does it matter that we're winning and we're top or second or wherever we are by virtue of a few points or goals here or there? We're up, we're up at the top of everything that we're playing for. Basically, we're in the quarterfinals of one, yes, into the of another, and we're you know top two, three of the league given any given weekend. So, at what point does it matter? I think it will matter when you play good teams. I think it'll matter when you play good teams. But, but we've played a few of those, and we haven't like, beaten. I would say we've played one. Two, three, four, four good teams this team this season. I don't think there's many good teams in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah I, was I think we played that's, four that's, good teams. That's not going to be a very, very high number because there aren't that many good ones. But this is my this is almost my point. I think that the overall quality. And, and, but to be fair, I, I was even, no. I, but I was including Brighton in that, and I don't know that Brighton are a pretty good team right now. They're ninth. Yeah. So they were Brighton in my good teams. Really inconsistent. Yeah, Brighton like, really, really inconsistent this season as well. They're, they're really they're, yeah. they're one of the ones who have obviously struggled by having European football as well during the week. And that is a big thing to deal with. And again, we mentioned this at the start of the season, even with reference to Arsenal last year, that they would struggle in the first campaign back in Europe. They did. Second campaign, you get to learn a bit more about it. And they have. And they were helped by an easy draw. Newcastle this season, much more difficult for them to, to juggle both competitions. West Ham, Nothing different there to what they've done before. That's fine. Um, Brighton is completely new for them, the first ever season, not just for this team. So, yeah, that's that's natural. So, given that Man City as well, as the standard bearers, if you like, are nowhere near as good in the first half of the season as we would normally expect them to be, does it matter? That's the point. Can you win a league playing this way? Or can you be in the mix to win a league, let's say, going into the final five, six matches, and can you win a cup playing this way if it's not very, very good, but you still win a league? Because if we do, nobody's going to care, even if there still are improvements that can be made for future campaigns. Have we seen anybody do this, though? Is it sustainable across a season to continually play bad and win because of individual brilliance? I, so, I just don't know if it's sustainable 
So, right. So I think that, again, that is probably two different answers because have we seen it before? Yes, absolutely. I think we saw about three decades of it. Have we seen it in the more modern era of Liverpool and Man City is probably who's, the Who's question. won a league title playing, playing as poorly as we are right now? Uh, I'd say at least a couple of the Man United teams. Um, I don't remember Leicester being particularly good. They were really good at transitions and counter-attacks. But the league was garbage, in fairness, well. that yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's what I mean. Like it, it, Since Man City arrived, let's say, and Liverpool came to challenge them, you know, we set new levels, not just in points tallies, not just in the number of wins for the season, but in playing as well. And I think that that's a little bit different to compare this season's performances to, let's say, three years ago, four years ago for Liverpool, because I don't think the points tallies are going to be warranted this year to win the league either. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. I would say the only team I've seen play this poorly and win a league title is the last United League title. Maybe the, maybe the last two United League titles. But even then, they didn't look as disjointed in attack. Like, we look really, really disjointed. There's no, there's no defined patterns of what we do. This is very much vibes and let's hope someone does something really good. Either Mo or Trent or Dominic. There's no real, there doesn't appear to be a purpose to what, to a lot of what we do in attack. And we've heard about, you know, how street football is our identity in attack. That's from our assistant manager who was taking credit for things when it was going well at the start of the season, giving his interviews. He talked about how he had come up with the idea of this small pitch and it was all about street football. Well, that doesn't appear to be working very well because our attack misfires quite a lot. Mo has been really poor in the last five games. Darwin has been poor in the last four or five games. Diaz has been poor all season. Gakbo has been poor all season. Jota before the injury had been poor. I just don't know that the way we're playing is getting the best out of the players we have. Like, you take Zabozlai as an example. He began the season like a house on fire. 
And now he's really struggling. He's been really poor the last few games. Now, part of that is the complete lack of balance in midfield when he and Gravenberg are on the pitch together. Because they both want to do similar things. They both want to be on the ball. And Gravenberg doesn't do enough defensively. So Dominic has to become more of the kind of the second six at times when we lose the ball. It doesn't feel like we're getting the most out of him or the attack or Alexis when he plays because we're playing him as a six. It just feels like there's something that's not really working. And we're playing this way specifically for one player. Like this shape, this three box three only really works better than the old four three three for one player. And I just don't know that it's worth doing that. We're asking enormous amounts of Ibu and Virgil to enable this shape. We're asking enormous amounts of our left back, whoever that is, whether it's Robbo or Costas, for this shape. We're sacrificing most of what Alexis does well in this shape, most of what Dominic does well in this shape, I don't really like the shape for Mo. I don't like how wide it pulls him. I don't know that Darwin works particularly well playing this way without more wide delivery. And again, the lack of width, the lack of building through the flanks like we used to seems to be affecting Diaz as well. Now, this this system was designed for one player and one player only, and that's Trent. And as brilliant as he is, is he more effective for us in this role than he was in his old role? I don't think he is. I think I think you can play Trent in midfield, but only if you've got an actual right back on the pitch as well. I think we're too narrow, we're too predictable, and we're relying too much on, on individual brilliance. And we're not getting the most out of players that could give us that individual brilliance. I definitely think there's a lack of intensity about our game, our build-up play in the final third uh, over the last... Well, for most of the season, there's been a few games and a few spells in games where it's been good and it's been quick. But by and large, I think we're a bit too passive, a bit too reactive with some players. Uh, and I think the technical level of a few of them just hasn't been there. Like, Jota early in the season, his technical level was awful. Before he got injured, it was actually improving in the mm. last two, three games before that. Um, Gakpo, it's been frustrating me a lot. And I think his technical level is sometimes good, but often poor, considering how good he is as a technical player, to be honest. Um, yeah. Even before we start talking about his physicality or lack thereof. So most of this is solved by Liverpool playing a much, much quicker tempo. And I think we've seen over the last couple of seasons that that generally improves over the second half of the campaign. We do tend to be a bit quicker, a bit sharper, a bit better into play. But this is now a new midfield and a new forward line in terms of three players. So can't exactly just assume that that's going to just be replicated again. It is pretty much a new team. It's definitely a new way in terms of this still being the first full calendar year of us playing it. So more needs to be done. I don't really like 
Like, I have nothing against Trent being in midfield. I think that's perfectly fine. I think, if anything, he's better when he's the second six, not the sitting one, or basically let off the leash as an eight. That's where he causes most damage. But then you still need the rest of the mm. team set up accordingly. So you might as well just have a mid- midfield as a midfield and not a right-back coming into midfield then because there's yeah. still just too much. That, that's the thing. I, I, I think if you just were to put players in roles which get the best out of them as as the whole team, I think you'd probably end up with Liverpool quite close to a 4-4-2. That's still how I feel about it. But yeah, that's not what, what we're going I, to I get. feel exactly the same. I feel like if we sacrificed Luis Diaz for Joe Gomez, while people will think, oh, that's a very defensive move, I actually think it would improve us in both directions. If you lined up with Joe, just just for now, because we don't have another right back, with Joe, Ibu, Virgil and Costas as a traditional back four, you put Trent in midfield, you can either use him on the right of midfield or in central midfield. If you're playing him in central midfield, I'd really like to see him and Curtis as the double pivot, with Curtis as the one that sits in. And then Dominic plays one side, and when he's fit, Alexis plays the other side, similar to his Argentina role. While he's not there, I'd use Harvey Elliott. And then Mo and Darwin through the middle. And I also think that shape gets more out of Harvey I think it would get more out of Gakpo and Jota as well, because when you use them, you'd be using them in a front two and they'd be close to a teammate. And I think that would suit both of them better as well. I think the 4-4-2 would suit Endo better. I think you could use Ryan Gravenberg in one of those wide midfield roles as well, where you know they're not staying wide as we have the ball and we're building up. They're moving more central and the midfield becomes more of a box. I think that would actually get a lot more out of pretty much everybody, including Trent. I don't know that there's anybody whose game would suffer from a shift to a four box two. We'd net we get more natural width as well because Gomez and Costas could hold the flanks. I I I don't know. I, I just the more I watch us play, the more I just think this, this shape, it, like it's so predictable. And you saw us against United. I, I don't know. What do we have? 36 shots. How many of them were real good opportunities? Because I would estimate at least 20 were bad decisions. Two shots, two decent chances. You think two? Yeah. Yeah. And where did That's they it. come from? Um, you know? They didn't come through central play. They came from wide play. Mo from the right into Darwin onto Diaz. I mean, do you want to count the Trent shot just past the post as a good chance? I think that was just a good run from him and finish. But again, that came from the right playing into the centre. And that would have been a lovely goal. It would have been a lovely goal if he just if there's just a little less curl on the ball, it just rolls in by the post, and Onana never gets close to it. Ah, well, look, he's not going to change it now. Um, it's just it's just something that I've been thinking about a lot because I watch us play and I, I there's so much talent in this team and I just don't think we're getting the most out of the majority of this squad. 
Like we're obviously getting the Virgil has been otherworldly. Allison has been otherworldly. Trent started the season quite iffy, but has been a lot better of late. I just feel like the others are are kind of sacrificing to enable Trent, which, you know, he's a great player. But I think we'd be a better team if maybe he sacrificed 10% and they could give us 20% more of what they're capable of. Um, moving on to this game. We played West Ham now earlier this season and we beat them 3-1. Mo put us ahead, Bowen equalised, Darwin put us back ahead, and then Diogo Jota wrapped it all up with a bow on it on 85. Our team on that day had Joe Gomez at right, Allison in goal, Joe Gomez at right back, Virgil and Joel Matip at centre-back, Andy Robertson at left-back, seems like an awful long time since he played, uh, Dominic, Alexis and Curtis in midfield, and, like, I want to talk to you about Curtis in a second as well. And then it was the the Salah, Darwin, Diaz front three. Like, it, it feels to me like if you just, even in that shape, just put Trent back in for Joe, if everybody was fit, that's probably our best 11, barring the miraculous potential recovery of Thiago. <sighs> Curtis is a weird thing at the moment, Carl. Like, he was playing really, really well. He got suspended. Then he got injured. Then he played against City. And on the ball, he was really poor. But defensively, he was really good. Well, good, not really good, but good. And he's barely been given much of a chance since. He's you know getting run off the bench here. He played in the Europa. He hasn't played well since, but it looks like he's lost his rhythm. But I can't help but feel like we get so much more from our team and our midfield in particular with him in it rather than Gravenberg because I think both Gravenberg and Dom have just played much better when Curtis is the other eight. Uh, yes, they have. Absolutely have by quite some distance, to be perfectly honest. And I guess we are now going to get the chance to see that again just by virtue of Gravenberg being in- injured. Um so Jones has to come back in really for that, unless you're again going to bring Alexis in and move him further forward and bring Trent in to start as the six or whatever change around we do this time. I, I just think that of all the players who have played themselves in and out of the team, Jones has done it the most times and he's come in over and over again, shown that he can add balance and reliability and all the good things from a technical perspective on in terms of creativity and defensive work as well, to be honest. Maybe he doesn't do them all to 9 or 10 out of 10 in the way that some others can, but I think he does everything across the board really, really well. I think we're a much more yeah. rounded side when he plays for us. Yeah. No question. No question. Right now, with the players we have, he's in our best eleven. And I would include when Thiago comes back, I think Curtis is in our best 11. Because I think the best thing to do would be, if you were going to run out of midfield with Thiago in it, would be to go Thiago, Alexis and Curtis and play Dominic left wing. If you're going to play this shape. I think that's the best use of everybody. Um, I, 
uh, you're right. Like he doesn't do anything. He's a really, like he's an outstanding presser and he cuts passing lanes off brilliantly. Those are the two things he is really, really good at, but everything else he does at like a seven out of 10 rate. The only knock on Curtis is he does at times hold the ball a little too long, but Early this season when he was playing well and he was in rhythm and at the end of last season when he was doing the same, he wasn't doing that. He was making quick decisions and he was doing the simple things really, really well. Right, but that's part and of I think rhythm. The too many that's touches part of what things. you get when he's had Yeah, of course it is. And I think I, that's why I was so quite annoyed and also quite surprised when he came on against United and you suddenly put him left wing again. Like, I know that's his position from years ago, but he's not been doing that at senior level for, what, three years? And then to just put him there mm. when you could have either put Harvey left wing, as, as we've spoken about, or put Harvey right wing where he's supposed to play and put Gakpo left wing where he's supposed to play. And then Jones goes into the middle where he's been really good. It was just the obvious way around to do those subs. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs Mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Let's be honest, nothing about the United game from Jurgen Klopp made sense. The team selection didn't make sense. The Gravenberg Zabalzlai midfield thing doesn't work. And none of the subs made sense. He put players on in bizarre situations, bizarre positions. And the funny thing is, we looked better after the subs than we did before the subs, even with a bunch of lads out of position and not looking all that comfortable. Now, part of that as well is that they they got tired and were really clinging on for dear life. Um, Guy is giving us updates here on injuries. Uh, ben Doak apparently needs surgery, which isn't great, doesn't seem ideal. Uh, and Gravenberg will be okay. So it looks like the injury that he suffered against United isn't too bad. So, look, I don't know what injury he has. I think Klopp said it was his hamstring. But he said he'd been played, that he it, it happened and then he kept playing, which is really fucking weird. Um, but I, mean, I don't know, maybe he got injured two years ago and that's why we've seen what we've seen for two years out of him who knows but um, we'll see we'll see what happens with him Ben Doak needing surgery is not great so uh, we thought there was really something he came off during the game and you saw immediately when he came off what that did to the team as well he he was playing really well 
No, he wasn't, Jürgen. Why? Like, does Jürgen think we don't see these games? I think this is Pep Linders, isn't it? Especially against these man-marking sides. Oh, this is Linders said this. Especially against these man-marking sides, he plays unbelievable. Jesus Christ. But he had a scan and it's only Dom's, which is fatigue. <clears throat> like, what is he fatigued from? He doesn't run. He stands about. We have to be careful, of course, because that's a sign. So it's a good one. He, he needs to go and have himself a long shot up. Um, he he hasn't been good. He, ha- he wasn't unbelievable. Utter nonsense from Pep and Lenders. But ben not surprising considering he's the one behind meniscus lateral meniscus so that's going to be a while oh that's not good at all that's not good at all for a kid that relies on his explosiveness and his ability to change direction that doesn't seem good um and we also have like there's a lot of darkness around the alexis injury as well at first, it was just a cut that needed stitches that he could play on from. Then it was the stud went through the muscle to the bone and the, the medical staff had never seen this injury before. Like It, it seems really strange. And I, I, I've seen some people suggest that it might be a little bit more severe than the club are even letting on. So we'll see. We'll see when and where he comes back, but there's been some suggestion we won't see him again until the new year. Um, I've seen one person suggest we won't see him again until February, which wouldn't be great. Yeah, not ideal. Not ideal. So we go into this game shorthanded in midfield. Still no Thiago, still no Stefan Besetic, and now Gravenberg joining Alexis. Um, I, I just don't. I don't see it as a positive to have this many injuries. What what are you what are you expecting as a team then? Because I'm I'm actually just I'm fed up now after reading about uh, about the Doak thing. Um, what are you expecting as a Liverpool team in this game, Carl? If we didn't have Arsenal at the weekend, I think we would go full strength for this um, because it is. I think there will be a couple of changes, but I don't think it'll be massive changes because. Well, for all the reasons we spoke about for the other teams in the other games, there's a semi-final at the other end of this, and it's not. Although I think West Ham is a difficult game. They're usually a pain in the ass apparent for us, to be perfectly honest. It's not the hardest game that we could have. So I think you have to sort of, one, respect that, but two, make the most of it as well. And that means going pretty strong while maybe having one or two sensible um, changes. I've seen like the cup team put out in a couple of places. I don't think it'll be that. So I still expect like Van Dijk to start, Trent to start, um, Salah to start, for example. But then I do think there'll be a few come in, like Jones we've already mentioned. I think Harvey Elliott starts this one. I think Cody Gakpo will. And I reckon yeah. I'm going to go with Trent on the right and Gomez centre-back and not have Kanate start in too many uh, midweeks just at the minute. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it will be Trent, Gomez... Virgil left back is an interesting one because Costas is the only senior left back available. Costas has to play. I I don't think I think he had doesn't he? Because I don't think Luke Chambers did anything near enough to show that he's ready. So Costas will play midfield. Then 
I mean, do you go, do you go Harvey Endo Jones, or would you go Dominic Endo Jones and play Harvey on the left of the front three? Um, I would play Harvey on the right of the front three, Salah through the middle and Gakpo on the left. But I think it'll be Elliot Endo Jones in midfield and Salah on the right. Sat on the right. I think Gakpo will start through the middle. So that leaves left wing as the only, mm. as the question mark. I think, I think Diaz was the best of the midfielders and attackers against United. Now it's a low bar. I think him and Endo are the only two of the six that started who come out with any real credit from the game. Would you would you go Diaz left wing and and try and play him into form? I probably would because I don't see too many other options to be honest. I think Darwin is is sub for this one, regardless of anything else. Uh, yeah. And with no dope, who else we got? Cade Gordon to start. I think it's too soon to be looking at multiple starts in big games in yeah. domestic competitions for him. So. I don't really see that there's anywhere else to go, to be perfectly honest. It has to be him. Yeah, I think it does. I think it does, unless it's Dominic. Like, that's the only other real option is, is use one of Dominic or Harvey there, but he hasn't used them there before, so I wouldn't expect him to use them there now um, because Parrish thought you might try something new. You know, when things aren't working, you, you you just do the same thing over and over again because, you know, why wouldn't you? Um West Ham, they've got few issues coming in. Actually, only one, Mikel Antonio. Everybody else is fit. Um, worrying signs, Carl, that worrying signs for the rest of us, not for West Ham, that Piquetta, Kudus and Bowen are really beginning to click and really beginning to look like a very, very serious attacking unit. That is that Mohamed Kudus deal in the summer is looking better and better for West Ham by the game. He he really has found form and his pace, his dribbling ability. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, it, it's a shame he wasn't available for someone else to buy. You know, someone else that might have needed a player of his ilk. Um, he does look a hell of a player. Paquette is playing really, really well. And Jared Bone, I think, just looks better through the middle. Then, or sorry, I think they look better through the middle. They look better with Jared Bone through the middle than they do with Antonio through the middle. Is what I've been trying to say now for four sentences. <laughs> yeah, I think Bone's movement has been exceptional this season. He's obviously flying in confidence. You can see that with some of the goals and finishes he's had is better than we've seen from him in previous campaigns, but. I do think that a big part of it is that they've got such rotation of positions there up front now. Like Kudus, nominally from the right-hand side, fine, and you get him cutting in and all that, but he makes loads of runs in behind, and they didn't really have two people to do that at once. And when you've got Paqueta, obviously, with the range of passing that he's got, the more movement ahead of him that you have, the better West Ham are going to be in the final third. It's Mm. often that simple. You don't need to overcomplicate it more than that. They have really, really good technical players. If you add intelligence and creativity to that mix, goals will happen. Yeah. The thing with them is, you look at Paqueta, he's played right side 10 and left side, and he can play as a false nine. He did it at Leon. Bowen can play all four roles. Kudus can play all four roles. 
if they could if they could get Max Cornet to remember that he's a good footballer and play left wing, you'd have this front four that could rotate positions really, really well and cause defences a lot of trouble. They would all be left-footed as well, which would be kind of cool to see. But, you know, Ben Rama, when it's him, he can play left side, he can play as a not, he can play as a 10, he could do a job right side for you. Like, they do have good movement and flexibility in that front four. The double pivot is a little bit shaky for them. The Suchek Ward-Prowse one, I think, is weak defensively because uh, Ward-Prowse is not a good defensive player. Suchek is just a little bit slow-footed. And, like, if you bring Alvarez into that midfield and push Ward-Prowse into the front four you get his crossing ability, which is then another weapon for them. Um, I like the centre-back pairing. Zuma is is a good player. Agard's a good player. I think the full-back spots are weak for them, and obviously the, Moyes has reverted to Fabianski in goal for whatever reason. I don't know if Ariola was injured or what was going on, but that needs to stop. Um, they're going to be a big threat for us, Carl. They're, they're going to be a big test. They're coming off... Two good wins. They they beat Wolves quite comfortably. And in the week, they they beat Freiburg quite comfortably as well and, and secured top spot in the Europa League group. So I think they're bouncing in confident and they've got nothing to lose here. Like this is an opportunity for them to add more silverware to what they won last season. If they go out, they're, they're the underdogs anyway, so it's not really... This is a kind of a free hit for them, whereas it feels like there's more pressure on us. There is, and there should be, because we you know, are favourites of the teams who are left in, and we should be looking to win this competition. And we're at home, so West Ham... I don't know if it's quite a free hit for them, because I think that... Well, maybe it is for West Ham, but I don't think so much for Moyes is probably what I'm trying to say, because some people obviously thought he might have left last year after the Cup win... Um, some people thought he should leave after the cup when he chose to stay around contract up again at the end of this season. So if he wants to either stay there beyond again, he needs to overachieve again. And that probably means going really, really close to winning something else for them. Uh, Cause I don't think in the league, they're going to trouble the top eight, let's say. So Europe is, is unlikely to be a possibility from that point. They're not winning the Europa league because we are, um, so they have to do something really, really good in one of the cups, basically. And I think that with us not playing particularly well at the minute, West Ham are the type of team, player-wise and tactics-wise, who if we play well, we beat them. And if we, I don't even mean if we play great. I mean, if we just play generally well, like to the standard of a lot of our performances this season, we'll beat them. But if we are rubbish, as we have been against, for example, Sheffield United, we were quite rubbish against Luton. We were really rubbish against United. We were terrible against. We played like that. They'll beat us because they do have the individuality and the attacking uh, talent and cohesion. If they play full strength, they will win this game. And that would just be such a stupid waste uh, of an opportunity for us to get near to a final. But it is pretty massive for them, for, mm. for quite a few of those players as well. And and as much as they won't be favourites to win, they'll think that they can because they have one trophy behind them, the majority of this group of players. Some of the ones who have come in now are also used to challenging and winning trophies. You look at Alvarez and Kulis as two pretty good examples of that. Uh, there's a, a couple of players there who have summer ambitions for the Euros, of course. And again, going somewhere near to winning a trophy is a big part of 
making sure that your name is in as much flashing lights as possible. But on the other hand, their away form's not been immaculate. Like the the three wins that they had recently on the road, Burnley, who were awful at the time, Bachka Topola, who mm. I'm not honestly sure exists still at this point, and then Spurs, who were mistake-ridden and lots and lots of players missing for that game as well, obviously with a uh, Davies-Romero pairing at the back, and that was a bit of an odd match, but they did play really well second half, and by the end of it, I think probably deserved the win. So that's fine. But then they were spanked by Fulham before that they'd lost at Brentford, Olympiacos, Villa, and they obviously lost to Anfield much earlier in the season. So I don't think that they are you know, near the finished article, especially on the road, but we do still have to be much, much better than we were at the weekend. And if you're looking at the three home games as a collective for Liverpool, United, West Ham, and then Arsenal, I think we need to be much better tonight. And then the distance between Man United and West Ham performances again for the Arsenal match of the weekend. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I like the way you said Burnley were awful at the time, as if they're not awful still. <laughs> but it was it was very polite of you. Um, we are under strict instructions here not to give overly confident predictions. Seventeen nil. Are you going to telling off after? <laughs> I go telling off after my prediction for the United game. Uh, so I'm going to say 2-1 to Liverpool. And like you said, we need to be better than we were against United. We need to be more cohesive. We need to be more clinical. We need to not shoot just because you can see the fucking goal. There might be somebody else better placed. Um, I'm going to say 2-1. What about you? I'm going to go as conservative as it is possible to be and still say a victory, and I will say a terrible, turgid, scrappy 1-0 win from the penalty spot, thanks to Salah. That will do. That will do fucking nicely and hopefully a nice draw against Port Vale. Actually, do you know what? If Here's the, here's the question. If we get through, Carl, who would you rather play in the semi-final? The winner of Port Vale Borough, the winner of Middlesbrough Fulham, no, uh, Everton Fulham, or the winner of Chelsea Newcastle. Because for me, I would rather play the winner of Chelsea Newcastle over two legs and then get the easier final than play, say, Port Vale or Borough and get a harder one-off game. Because I just feel two legs will beat either of those teams, Newcastle or Chelsea. But in a one-legged final where just something silly can happen, yeah, I, 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 that would worry me. I see your point. I do hold a few concerns about allowing Everton to get to a final, I'll be honest. Um, I don't care. I think Liverpool should be all of the rest of the seven teams left in this competition with some ease. Like even if Newcastle get a few players back, this Liverpool team is still better than Newcastle. So hmm. I'll go for Everton Fulham because I think a two-legged semi would be quite fun as well. But actually, in terms of form and ability, right at this moment, or you know, by the end of January, which is when the first uh, semi-final is, I probably would take Chelsea Newcastle because I think there's more likelihood that they won't be at peak just at that point yet still. 
Yeah, but come come was it late February or early March when the final comes yeah. around, there's more chance that they're well both they're of them both could have spent another half a billion. With everybody back. Yeah. Yeah. Chelsea's January is going to be really interesting. I think ours might be quite dull. I have a feeling Jurgen's going to do a silly thing. But Chelsea's really interesting. Arsenal's is interesting. We'll talk about it more as it gets closer, but yeah, right. Well, we'll leave it there for today and uh, we'll be back later in the week to preview the Arsenal game where we will actually just talk about the Arsenal game because it's a league match and Arsenal probably warrant a bit more conversation. But for now, is there anything you want to plug? Um, if people would like some non-Liverpool writing, there's a Man City Kevin De Bruyne piece as he approaches his comeback. Yes, looking forward to seeing him back on the pitch. And because, you know, look, he's he's one of the best players in the world and it's good for the Premier League to have him fit and playing well. So, um, plus it will, it would also, you know, because I, if we're not going to win the league, I'd actually rather they win the league because at least then we can mark it down to cheating. Um, we'll be back later in the week. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.